Welcome to the Confident Feminine Body Podcast, a place of healing and transformation in your relationship with your body, food, and fitness. I'm your host, Elizabeth Marbury. I'm an intuitive healer and coach and founder of our Confident Feminine Body Program, where I help women build their self-worth from the inside out, free their voice, and love the sexy skin they're in without diets, deprivation, and self-sacrifice. Think of this podcast as your empowering and fun self-love guide, where you'll get real-time advice and tangible tools as we navigate this body and food freedom journey together. Let's dive in. So today I'm so excited to have Natasha here with us. We are going to hold space for her to free her voice and speak her truth. And I'm excited for her to share her story with you because I know that so many women are going to be able to identify with her story. And I think it's important that we shine the light on topics that sometimes are uncomfortable to talk about, or um, some women feel like it's not even maybe safe for them to talk about. So I'm so excited for her to share her story. And Natasha is a business owner and a mother living in Paris. And she has recently delved into the world of podcasting. She has her own podcast that she she'll be able to share with us about. And she's also a BRCA1 mutation carrier, and she's planning a double mastectomy to reduce her high risk of getting breast cancer. So Natasha, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So excited. I'm, I'm so excited too. And Natasha and I, we actually met on Clubhouse which is a new social networking app. And I want to just celebrate that I'm talking to this beautiful mother who lives in Paris and I'm over here in Denver, Colorado. And how beautiful is this? That yeah. the technology- Clubhouse is amazing. It brings so many people together. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So Natasha, will you share with us some of your background and a little bit of your story? Yeah. So my mum first got cancer when I was 14. She was 42. She got breast cancer. Um, it all happened quite quickly in a way. Like she found it really quickly. They removed the lump. Um, you know, I'm sure she was very good at hiding how terrified she was because I, I never even crossed my mind that she could die, you know. Um, and then, yeah, she had the, the chemo and radiotherapy and everything seemed to be fine. And then two years later, she got ovarian cancer. And so it's really, really rare to get ovarian cancer. And it's especially rare to have had both. And so my aunt happened to have seen a documentary on the BBC about like the BRCA genes. Um, so what that means is everybody, well, BRCA, BR is breast, CA is cancer, because you're, those are the cancers you're most likely to get. And so everybody, you included, has two uh, BRCA, BRCA genes. Now the genes are there in your body to protect you against cancer, to stop tumors from growing. Whereas with us, they don't work properly. So they can either have a mutation on the code or they can be completely broken. Um, so then when she found out that she was positive for that, there was a 50% chance that I would be positive too. So I've known that since I was 16. Um, 
after she found out she even though before when she had cancer she'd saved both of her breasts she just had a the lump removed she then had a double mastectomy and reconstruction and uh hysterectomy like everything removed there as well um and so then I was at a stage where I was like okay I don't have to worry about this now you know I'm 16 like <laughs> um it was just when I kind of met my husband and we were thinking about you know being serious and having a family and stuff and I was about 25 and it just felt like the right time to do the test and lo and behold it was positive positive. Um, and then so I started to say to myself the right time to be thinking about preventative surgeries will be when I turn 30 and then things just don't go to plan we kind of said okay we'll have a baby then we'll get married then we have another baby and then I'll be 30 and I'll do the surgery so we started trying for a baby when I was about 26 and it took two years to get pregnant but fortunately when we did everything went really well fine no problem had the baby great um and then when she was 10 months old I fell pregnant again by mistake <laughs> which was just insane seeing as we tried for like two years for the first one uh, I then sadly lost that baby when I was three months pregnant and because we you know already hadn't planned to get pregnant and the reason for that we went, we didn't want to get pregnant in that time anyway was because I was 30 so it was the time that I should have been thinking about the mastectomy so yeah we never got to a point where we were like okay we'll try again you know blah 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 and then the pandemic happened and there were no non-essential surgeries happening anyway so it didn't look like a mastectomy was even going to be possible and we didn't know when it would be so that was like October 2020 we said to ourselves you know let's just let's do it now right let's have the other baby now and again like got pregnant pretty quickly and I lost that baby in I think I was 10 weeks pregnant and you know I think something that so many people will be able to relate to is that I was saying to the doctors like can I get some a test like can we find out why like what's wrong with me what's happening because I keep seeing the statistics as well like okay a miscarriage is common but you know it's likely that the next one the next pregnancy will be successful so oh, the next one will be successful but it wasn't why it's crazy right and all the doctors are saying yeah well you know you have to have a sad one because uh, if you don't have a sad one we won't do any testing <laughs> like it's just insane. I didn't know that I didn't know that that is is that just in Paris or is that no, like a- I think that's pretty global wow I didn't I think realize that some good doctors if you've got a really good doctor um they will say after two but I think for god's sake we should be like doing it after one even really because just when I did- the woman feels in her intuition that something is off why can't yeah yeah, yeah. and also when I did have the third miscarriage like quite quickly after the second one uh I was obviously given the testing I had one little blood test it was a little tiny blood test really simple and within like two weeks I'd been diagnosed with Hashimoto's uh, disease which is an autoimmune disorder so it's, it was normal that my pregnancies weren't working out like your body can't sustain a pregnancy my um, TSH which is thyroid stimulating hormone for us for a successful pregnancy your level needs to be around two I think and mine was seven so it was, it was just impossible impossible that my pregnancies were never going to work out you know and um. uh that's what made me so angry it's like it was so simple to to find that information out like why are you sending me away you know um at the same time though I'm trying to see the positives of it in a way because if the pandemic hadn't happened we wouldn't have tried for another baby when we did and I would never have found out or you know not never but I would have found out about this disease probably when I was getting serious like debilitating symptoms from it maybe so 
in a way like it has helped me to to kind of address that health issue sooner than I might have otherwise yeah so so what is your plan now with the mastectomy well that's it I just don't know (laughs) I'm trying to figure out what to do yeah I have got to a point you know like after I said to myself before I even had my daughter you know when you've had a baby and you you live breastfed like your boobs are going to like not look very good you know so it's going to make it easier to have a mastectomy (laughs) but actually like yeah my boobs don't obviously don't look like the boobs of someone who hasn't breastfed but I just love them even more you know like because they've fed my baby and I just feel like even more connected to it I was like oh my god you know <laughs> yeah um yeah so there was that but I have I have reached a point through all of this and through everything that I've been through where like the aesthetics of it don't bother me anymore it's not the the one thing that is difficult for me is to think about such a major surgery and to go in there and have an operation when technically I don't have a disease, right? But in terms of my image, I'm completely at peace with that. Yeah, so that's really, so how did you, can you talk us through kind of your roller coaster maybe of what you went through in processing that? And cause like you said, you your breasts were, I breastfed my babies too. I breastfed for, I was fortunate to be able to breastfed both of them for two years each. So I've, I've breastfed for four years yeah. and I loved it so much. And, and I, I hear in your voice that you love that too. And mm. so how, how have you been able to move into a place of acceptance or not feeling afraid of how your body is going to be different or, or that loss or that grief, because it seems like you're kind of handling grief on like lots of different levels too right yeah yeah well I just in a way I think I've been like this since I was a teenager I was kind of forced to grow up quite quickly when my mum was sick obviously and I said this to you as well and I know it's like super cliche but I have like since I was a teenager like I've just lived by YOLO like really like, who's got YOLO. time Tell, yeah. tell everyone what YOLO means in case you don't know. <laughs> Does anyone not know? <laughs> you, only live, you only live once. You only live once. But it's, sorry. It's so, so true. And, it, you know, especially seeing my mum being, like, so sick and everything. And even, like, with everything that I'm going through, I just I look at my body as though – it's not as though, like, it's true. Like, everything about my body, like, everything about it on every level is temporary. Like, if you go from, like, the very existential, like, you know, one day my body's not even going to exist anymore. Like, it's going to be gone. So even, like, the smaller things, like, you know, my teeth are kind of crooked. I don't like that. Or, you know, I've got, I woke up with a zit this morning. That's temporary as well. Like, and I link that as well to sometimes I would find myself looking at pictures of myself when I was younger. I think, oh, God, I wish I still looked like that, you know. And then I said to myself, actually, you know, you're going to look at a picture of yourself today in five years time and think I wish I still looked like that so look at yourself today and enjoy it and make the most of it because everything's so temporary right and oh we just I have love to, that yeah, yeah. Just, I just love it I'm just so grateful for my body and what I've got and I know like I've been through a lot and I've got a lot still to go through but really, really YOLO. It's so true. Like, and life's so short as well. I'm just going to come out with all the cliches, but it's so true. Like we've got one life. And if I just spend it like feeling crap about myself or criticizing my body or worrying about things that no one else is even noticing or care about, then then I'm just wasting time, right? 
Wow. Absolutely. And I wonder too, in, in watching your mom go through cancer and as a young girl, like are witnessing this, this disease and it, it must have just made you realize how short life is and that life could just kind of be taken from you at any moment. And so mm-hmm. for you to really, yeah, I don't even think, I think, I think if I saw my mom going through that now at my age now, I'm 32, I think it would be a lot harder. But I think when you're a teenager, death doesn't cross your mind. Do you know what I mean? Like you, you wow. feel invincible when you're a teenager, right? So it's like kind of looking back on it now. But the way I looked at it then was just like, okay, cancer. And I watched my mom and she's a survivor. And she's had like, I think like maybe like five cancers overall because she got skin cancer a few times after that. And I, I, back then it was just like, okay, cancer is something that might happen. So that's just something that you have to survive. Like there was no other option. Wasn't, death wasn't an option because I never saw death, you know? It, survival was an option. Cancer was a thing. Survival was the only option. So I think from that, like whatever comes my way, it's like, okay, how do I survive this? There's no other option. I love that mindset. I love that <laughs> mindset. That, mm-hmm. that will take you so far. You shared your journey with pregnancy loss. How were you able to process that? Because I can imagine, I, I personally have never experienced a miscarriage. I have two kids But what's interesting is my mother, she had multiple miscarriages and she always told me those stories about they had my brother and then she had multiple miscarriages and I was her last chance. And I, and I stuck, I stuck around. And so it's interesting when I was growing up, I I kind of had a story going in my head that I bet I'll have a miscarriage too, because my mom did. And I, I was almost expecting that and it never happened for me. So um, can you share like what? what was that like for you and how how did how do you process that how do you move through that I just like I couldn't I couldn't I can't put it into words I think I couldn't believe it like even you know I was 12 weeks pregnant and when I lost the baby I think it was like two days before my 12 week scan and I you know went to the bathroom and I was the tiniest bit of light really really pale pink blood on the tissue I didn't even panic you know because I had friends who had had like bleeding in the first trimester and it's like, it happens, doesn't it? It's really panic. I just said, you know, let's go to the hospital, get it checked out, obviously. And you just know, like once they're scanning you and you can see immediately that nothing's moving, nothing's moving. And you just know, and I said, nothing's moving. And the guy said, no. And then he left the room. And then I had to go back uh, two days later for a DNC, so that's where they like empty everything out. Um, and it was just like a bit of a whirlwind. I was just kind of doing as I was told. I wish, yeah, in a way, I kind of look back with a bit of regret as well. Like now I know better. Uh, my subsequent miscarriages, I took the medication and miscarried at home, which was much better. Like obviously, I don't know whether I would have had a choice, but nobody like explained any options to me. You know, with the first one, they were like, you have to have surgery. Uh, come back on Monday. That was it. So what, what are the options? So I think obviously it depends on the person. It depends on where you are. But my options, well, in the first one, I, didn't, I wasn't given options. But after that, they said, you know, you can have a, a DNC, which is a, a, I don't even know how you say it in English. In French, it's a dilatation curatage, dilation curatage, I'm not sure. Um, or you can take this medication and it will like make contractions happen. Um, but I know like a lot of people, for a lot of people, that's very painful. So they prefer to have the surgery because you don't feel anything. 
there's pluses and minuses for everything like with the surgery there's a danger of scar tissue as well like that can cause problems in your uterus after um personally with the medication okay it was painful but it wasn't much worse for me physically speaking than a really bad period so i did prefer that option but i know it won't be the case for everybody the the worst thing about that is that at some point you feel the baby coming out and you're on the toilet right so you know at some point you're going to flush that toilet and that's your baby um so that's that's tough and i understand that like people can't cope with that but uh, i think for me like my coping me mechanisms are like to talk and to acknowledge what's happening and then to help other people i think as well like when i'd had the first and second miscarriages and I was looking for answers. I did join support groups and I saw like, especially in the States, a lot of women who had had miscarriages were being given progesterone. So after, after you ovulate, your progesterone goes up and that thickens the lining of your uterus to make it a good environment for a pregnancy. So if you don't have enough, like it's gonna be difficult to support the pregnancy or even if the sperm fertilizes the egg, that's not gonna be able to implant, it could just slide out, you know? So another, what would have been a successful implantation pregnancy might not have happened. And I was even asking doctors, can I have some progesterone? Can I have progesterone please? And they were all saying, no, no, no. It wouldn't have helped me anyway because I had another problem, but it was the only thing that I knew how to ask for. And so now I know that what I do have, so Hashimoto's, it is common for it to happen after you've had a baby. It is common for women, especially. It is common for women between the ages of 30 and 50. So now that I have that information, I kind of make it my duty to spread that information. And if I can stop three miscarriages from happening to just one other woman, like mission complete. And that's how I cope. Wow, yeah. So, so when you're saying if you can stop a miscarriage, you're talking about... Like the information about the, the hypothyroidism, the Hashimoto's, the disease that I have. Okay. Like I said to you before, like it was just a simple blood test and it is common to happen I this kind you. of disease. Okay. So, but I didn't know to ask for that. Like if I'd known to ask yeah. for that little blood test, I would have, you know, I would have gone in to the laboratory, paid a thousand euros, I don't care. Like I got it. Okay. And I'm not, you know, I'm not like super rich or anything, but I would have made it happen. And so, but I didn't know. I didn't know what to ask for. So yeah, it might be the case that for other women, it's unexplained infertility. Maybe it's just bad luck that they're having more than one miscarriage. But if I can just get this information out to so other women know what to ask for, know what to check. Like I, I, I don't want other women to go through it the way that I have. Okay, if you have more than one miscarriage and it's just bad luck, that's awful. But if you go through more than one miscarriage and it's something that could have been caught and treated, like that makes me angry and I want to stop that. That makes me so angry. And as you were talking too, it's like, it's, it's making me feel that you are, you have to be your own advocate in the healthcare. Yes, a hundred percent. You do. You really, really do. It's sad, but it's true. I mean, yeah. I remember just even in giving birth, my first birth versus my second birth, my first, I wanted to do a natural birth with no drugs with both of my kids because I'm a crazy lady. And I, I'm like, I want to feel, I wanted to, so I I wanna feel everything. I want to feel everything. I want to give birth in the woods and just, you know, <laughs> and I was just like, all of a sudden I was like, this is what I'm doing. This is, you know, and of course a lot of people go in with that intention and are not able to, and that's okay. But just even in that experience of my first time going into the hospital with that first baby and 
they're giving me an IV and they're doing these things. And then I, which I just assumed you, that's what you have to do. You have, when you give birth, you, I guess you have to have an IV. And it was such a different experience for me with my second baby, because I walked in there just knowing exact, I was just like, I got this. Like, obviously I was, I, you know, I'm in the hospital. So I know if there's an emergency or something really, you know, the baby's heartbeat drops or whatever, but even like, so I, they're like, Oh, we want to give you an IV. And I'm like, no, I don't want that. I'm not going to take an IV. And then they're like, Oh, I want to check the baby's heart rate. Like, or I want you to wear this like belt around you the whole time. And I'm like, no, we're not doing that. You can check it once in a while, but I'm, I've got this. And it just was like such a different night and day experience because I was able to just be an advocate for like, this is what I want, but I also had so much more information the second time I wouldn't have known the first time I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. Help me. So I was really lucky though, because I did, I did do a lot of research before I gave birth the first time. And I did, even though I did take medication in the end, I took an epidural. I was so well informed and I went to like a great place and I've been in labor for like a really long time. And in the end, I said to the midwife, I'm I'm done, you know, I'm so tired, I want the epidural. And she, you know, she came down to me and she was like, you can have it, yeah, but but are you sure? Do you know what I mean? It wasn't just like, yeah, okay, let's do it. It was like, you're sure. She was like, you know, I can examine you if you want me to. And, you know, if you're 10 centimeters, you still want it. Yeah, I still want it, I'm done. But just the fact that she like really made sure um, she knew what my choice was. And I just, and I was glad that I put myself in that kind of environment. But then also like I'd done hypnobirthing and even though I didn't um do it kind of with the air quotes naturally in the end it still helps so much because also I had a um a hemorrhage after because the placenta wasn't coming out and so like everything passed from completely normal and calm to like 10 doctors in the room like trying to sort the situation out and at that point um like that when I describe it, I'm not going into too much detail with it. Like, and I say that to other people, they're like, oh my God, like, this sounds awful. And then when I hear myself, I'm like, gosh, yeah, it does, doesn't it? But I didn't live it that way because I'd done the hypnobar thing. Like it helped me to deal with that experience really well. And then even at that time when there were loads of doctors in, I had like, you know, they were trying to put IVs in and everything all over the place. And I was asking them, okay, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? And most of them were explaining what they were doing, but they had this guy on one side of me who's trying to put a needle in my arm. And I was like, what are you doing? And he was like, oh, I have to do it, I have to do it. And I was like, all right, but you tell me what you're doing. Otherwise you get off me. And and I just felt like, you know, it's just the most powerful mama bear. <laughs> like, cause, and then I think he walked away in the end because he was like, oh, I'm not gonna tell you right. what I'm doing, you know? And I was like, well, you get away from me. You don't touch me. I just felt so powerful, you know? <laughs> that is so, yes, you feel so empowered to be, to, it's just a great reminder that, yes, of course we need doctors, we trust them, but also it's your body. And I think mm. intuitively, like when I was giving birth, I remember with the first one, they would check like all the time, like how far dilated, how far dilated you are. With the second one, I was just like, same thing. I did hypnobirthing as well. My sister is a hypnotherapist and she had created this whole hypnotherapy meditation that I was, that I was just totally, I was like in a trance state and yeah. I was like, no one is taking me out of that. No one is checking me. Cause that kind of messes with my head. I'm like, I'm going to know when I'm getting to, you know, the end. And it's just so beautiful when you can kind of trust yourself and it's a, it's a great opportunity to to really feel into, you know, your body. And I will say that like my second birth was so different than my, I mean, they were both incredible, but I trusted myself even more with the second Mm -hmm. one because I had done it before too. So. 
I think um, that we can transfer that as well, though, into like not just in like the bar situation. And I can link it to things like that I experienced during miscarriage, but other like health situations as well. Like I had, um, you have to have um, an ultrasound after you've had the miscarriage to make sure like there's no tissue left, you know, everything's cleared out. And I was having this ultrasound and, you know, I was kind of talking to the, the technician and he's a really, he's like a really nice guy, really friendly and everything, very kind. Um, and I said, you know, like, I'm not feeling so good. It's the third miscarriage. And he said to me, um, you know, you shouldn't really consider yourself pregnant until you're 12 weeks. And I just thought, like, it's sort of a violent thing to say, you know? And I just kind of, like, mm, grimaced a bit. Oh, and I said, like, yeah. yeah. But now, like, looking back, I should have said to him, like, you can't say that to people. Do you know what I mean? I need to be, like, more forceful in these situations. Um, and then I, I had another one, like, with a guy, with a fertility specialist who was doing, like, another ultrasound in the same kind of situation. And he said to me, you know, I was on that bed, like, where you do the ultrasound, and it was a uh, transvaginal. So, like, you know, legs in the air kind of thing. And he said, um, can you like move closer towards me? And then instead of waiting for me to like scooch my bum closer towards him, he grabbed my thighs and pulled me closer towards him. And these sound like small things, you know, like then I know people have been through much bigger traumas than these, but in these situations, we need to like be speaking up and saying like, you know, you don't, don't do this. And I left and I never saw him again, you know, and I won't see him again and I won't recommend him to anybody. Um, but yeah, in terms of like being your own advocate, I think that stretches out to like protecting people in the future as well. Because if I can just say to him, that's not normal what he did, maybe he'll think about it a bit. Maybe. Absolutely. We can, we can keep our things, things fast, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love what you're saying. It's not only that you're being an advocate for yourself, but hopefully that person might pause and think, mm-hmm. hmm, maybe this is not appropriate or and not, and, it, and it's hard too, because I think as women, we're trying to be polite and we're trying to be kind, exactly. and, but it's yeah. like, let's put that aside. This is your body. You, you know, like if you feel in your gut that something's off, say something, right. Exactly. And, and yeah. then you're saving the next woman that goes in yeah. there. Right. Yeah. hundred yeah. yeah. percent. Natasha, thank you so much. This, I want to just thank you for your vulnerability because I know that it can be difficult to talk about these things. And I so appreciate you just sharing so openly your story. And I know it's going to serve so many women. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was lovely. And will you tell everybody if they want to listen to your podcast or they want to follow you, where can they find you? Where can they find your podcast? So my podcast is called Waiting for Margot. Margot is M-A-R-G-O-T. The reason for that is, so my first daughter is called Lily after my grandmother and my husband's grandmother is Irish. She's called Margaret. And we said that we would call our second daughter Margot after her. It's like a French version. So we're like literally waiting for Margot to arrive. It might be a boy, so we might have to change it. But <laughs> uh, So yeah, waiting for Margot. I'm on Instagram. Or you can search waiting for Margot on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Beautiful. And we'll be sure to put links to that in the show notes for today. Thank you, Natasha. This was Thank so you, awesome. Thank you so much. It was so nice. I'm Elizabeth.
Elizabeth Marbury, and I want to thank you for listening and hanging out with me today. Join our free community of brave soul sisters who are crushing it on their journey to body love and food freedom by going to confidentfemininebodygroup.com. That's confidentfemininebodygroup.com. And be sure to download my free gift while you're there. I'd also love to hang out with you on social media. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Elizabeth Marbury. I am sending you so much love today and always. See you next time. Thank you.